0: What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is the Mesh.
1: This episode of the Caregiver Community is sponsored by Pace at Home. During this uncertain time, Pace at Home is enrolling participants who wish to continue to remain at home. Partnering with families, Pace at Home provides caring medical support for all of our program's participants. Visit us on our website or give us a call at 828 828- 828 468 3980 to talk with a representative that can discuss with you the Pace at Home all inclusive medical approach. Pace at Home is the champion for seniors wishing to remain in their community.
2: Welcome to the caregiver community. This is a place where we talk about the joys and the challenges of caring for our aging parents as well as caring for ourselves. I'm Frances Hall, founder and executive director of ACAP Community, the community of adult children of aging parents. I have just learned that the newest research estimates that there are 20 million adult children in the United States and many more millions worldwide who are caring for aging parents and their in-laws. What that means is that the number of caregivers has increased dramatically in recent years, and the impact on individuals, families, and communities is even more significant in terms of financial, physical, emotional, and relational well-being, because those are informal. Those are family caregivers, not paid caregivers. In this segment, we're going to be talking about the financial cost of caregiving. Jenna Franks and Kristen Doherty are going to help us understand what we need to know about finances and financial responsibilities in caring for an aging loved one and how to best prepare. Jenna is an attorney at Steinbacher Goodall and Yurchak, Attorneys at Law in State College and Williamsport, Pennsylvania. However, she is licensed to practice law in both Pennsylvania and Florida. In addition to her law practice, she is a certified dementia practitioner and a Veterans Affair accredited attorney. Jenna also co-authored the book, Protect Your Family, What You Really Need to Know for the Second Half of Life. Hi, Jenna. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Kristen is a long-term care planner. (laughs) Sorry. I'm fine. Kristen is a long-term care planner at Steinbacher, Goodall, and Yorchak also, and is one of only a few certified Medicaid planners in Pennsylvania. Kristen holds a variety of specialized certifications, and like Jenna, she also is a certified dementia practitioner. Kristen also is an Alzheimer's disease and dementia care trainer and has a background in older adult protective services. Hey, Kristen, how are you?
3: Hi, good. How are you?
2: I'm doing fine. We also are pleased to be joined by Holly Ray as my co-interviewer. Holly is a specialized care planner at Steinbacher, Goodall, and Yurchak. Also, they all three work together. Like Jenna and Kristen, Holly also is a certified dementia practitioner. Although Holly now works in the legal setting with families and clients who are dealing with some form of dementia, she spent almost 20 years as a nurse in a variety of roles dealing with some form of dementia in, in skilled nursing facilities, personal care homes, home health, and hospice. Holly also helped begin our ACAP chapter in Center County, Pennsylvania, and she and Jenna still serve on that leadership team. Hi, Holly. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you're here. All righty. Bottom line, we have three very knowledgeable people who have had lots of experience with issues related to aging. So let's jump in. Just to set the stage, before we talk about finances, let's start with exploring the different types of care that are available when a loved one needs more support than living completely independently at home. Kristen, you want to start us off? I sure do.
3: This is such an important topic to discuss because it tends to be confusing about what level of care is appropriate and when. Most of us want to stay home no matter what, and thankfully, there are ways to make that happen as long as you are safe. There are various in-home care agencies that can provide a variety of services to help you remain in your home. This can look different ways depending on what you need. Some individuals may just need someone to check in a few times a week or helping with grocery shopping, errands, or maybe just meals. It can also look like 24-hour daycare in the home with help with your activities of daily living, like bathing, dressing, grooming, toileting, ambulating, meals, household upkeep, supervision, respite, really anything, One exception with a private duty agency may be skilled services such as medications, therapies, or nursings. These may be something that would be better offered through an agency that actually provides just skilled services. Some families, though, opt to pay a relative, family member, friend, or a neighbor to provide care in their home. This is a great alternative and often much less expensive. We would always recommend having a written agreement in place with your caregiver, even and maybe even more especially if they are a family member, to help with liability and future government benefits. Jenna's going to touch base on that a little bit later today. Now, adult daycare centers are a really great option for our loved ones who can safely remain in their homes, but maybe their caregiver works during the day, the caregiver needs some respite or the individual themselves could benefit from some socialization. Adult daycare centers are designed to provide a break for caregivers, but have many benefits for the participant also, such as interaction, socialization, exercise, meals, and much more. As cognition declines or physical health declines, it may be necessary to look into some sort of placement. But it's not always clear where to start. There are personal care homes, otherwise known as assisted living facilities or senior living facilities, memory care communities, skilled nursing facilities, and continuing care retirement communities, also known as CCRCs. Today we're going to talk to you a little bit about the differences of these facilities. Years ago, when I was working for the Area Agency on Aging, uh, about 10 years ago, actually, level of care was usually pretty clear to determine because an assisted living or personal care home provided pretty distinct services. Basically, they provided room and board, meals, medication assistance, and minimal personal care. Any needs above that would require skilled nursing home. It looks a lot different now. Personal care homes can now manage residents with with mobility issues, personal care needs, and many even now offer locked dementia units. Residents at this level of care can typically live here much longer, which is great because a move to a different facility or a different level of care can be really stressful for anyone, but especially someone who may have a cognitive impairment. Memory care communities are a newer, And a great alternative for someone who may need more care than provided in a personal care home, but maybe not as much care as in a skilled nursing home. Typically, a memory care community is a more active community than a skilled nursing home. They engage in activities, therapies, all while providing a safe and secure environment where the residents live. Skilled nursing facilities are the highest level of care for those who are very physically and medically compromised or have cognitive issues that cannot be managed at a lower level of care. A skilled nursing home has a doctor on staff, nurses, aides, therapists, and they can really meet all of their residents' needs. A continuing care retirement community, or a CCRC, they offer a variety of levels of care usually starting at independent living. Now, each community is very different. So if you think a CCRC is right for you, you need to do your research by visiting the community and asking a lot of questions. The goal of a CCRC is to help you age in place, starting at that independent living, all the way through your death. Many CCRCs do require require a significant buy-in, quite possibly a few hundred thousand dollars plus your monthly rent, while some do not require the buy-in, but you still have your monthly rent. Quite possibly one of the most important questions to ask if you are exploring a CCRC is if they have a benevolent fund. This is essentially a guarantee that you can stay at the facility for the rest of your life, even if you run out of money. This is really important to know because as everybody here knows, we are living longer than ever. So that's a really quick, short recap of all the options from in-home care to nursing home care. But I think it's really important to go over those because most of us don't even realize that there's all those options out there or what options may be relevant for us if our loved ones, mom, dad, husband, wife, whoever that may be, needs care. Wow, Kristen, you really
4: touched base on a lot of different ways to care for your loved one. Now, how would somebody pay for all of these different care options?
3: That's a great question, Holly, Um, because while there's a, a bunch of options for how you can receive care, there's also a lot of options about how do you pay for that care? And this is also something that most of us don't know about until we're faced with that situation. So today I'm going to talk to you about a couple different ways to pay for long-term care, and I'm also going to tell you about one type of type of way to pay for your care that is permanent. Now, any level or type of care in home or in a facility is going to accept private pay. But in most states, the annual cost of nursing home care is over $100,000 per year. So it's very important to know your options if you need care. Now, if you are providing in-home care, it can be even more costly or possibly less depending on what types of supports you have. The Veterans Administration offers an aid and attendance pension benefit to qualifying veterans, spouses, or widows of a veteran of around $20,000 a year on a tax-free basis to help pay for your long-term care. While a tax-free benefit of $20,000 a year would be helpful for many veterans, there are currently nearly 2 million veterans or widows who are likely missing out on this benefit. A study by the Veterans Administration said that veterans are generally unaware that this program exists, and only 1 in 7 widows that probably could qualify actually receive the monthly checks. So let me provide an overview of how you may qualify for the benefit if you're a veteran, a spouse, or a widow. In order to qualify for the aid and attendance pension benefit, the veteran must have served 90 days of active duty with at least one day served during wartime, must have been discharged honorably, and must be over the age of 65. Assuming that you meet the criteria we just mentioned, the application and qualifying process additionally looks at income, medical expenses, and assets. Once approved, this benefit can provide around $20,000 a year to pay for in-home care, assisted living, and nursing home care. I personally think the Veterans Aid and Attendance Pension Benefit is a fantastic option for caregivers to help offset some of those expenses for providing care in home. So if you are a child or a spouse and you're providing that care at home and your loved one is a veteran, a spouse or widow, you need to get out there and check out the Veterans Administration Aid and Attendance Pension Program. Now, one last thing to mention about the Veterans Administration Program is back in 2018, they did change some of the regulations. They implemented some gifting rules, so it might be a little bit more difficult to qualify now, but it's still a fantastic option. If you have questions about how to qualify for that, many elder law firms have attorneys who are accredited, like Jenna is with our office, but every county and every state also has um, appointed representatives through the Veterans Administration that are very knowledgeable and experienced on how to get qualified. Now, Jenna and I are often very often asked to review long-term care insurance policies for our clients, or we're asked to talk to them about if it makes sense to continue paying the premiums or even keep the policy. So if you have long-term care insurance or are thinking about it, please know. Every long-term care insurance policy looks so different. There are some things that you need to consider when you're looking at your existing policy or purchasing a policy, such as the daily benefit, the elimination period, maximum benefit, and the annual premium. The elimination period is the time that the policy will not pay out, (laughs) starting with the date of the claim. Generally, we see that around 30 to 90 days, but sometimes it can be less and sometimes it can be more. The maximum benefit's really important to know as well as, it, as it's the total benefit that the policy will pay out. While each policy is different, as I mentioned, we often see that these policies pay out for around three years or so. Once in a while, we'll find a really old policy that that has an unlimited benefit that will pay out for the rest of that individual's life. You certainly cannot purchase a policy like that anymore. (laughs) So some other things that are really important to consider with long-term care insurance is the daily benefit. A lot of policies that we see have a daily benefit of $100 a day, which when purchased probably was enough to cover the cost of care. Now, we're looking at over $350 a day on average for skilled nursing home care, so there's still a big shortfall there. The good news is this is where long-term care insurance and long-term care planning, which we'll talk about today, work hand in hand. Now, something that's newer and exciting with long-term care insurance policies is that there's now hybrid policies. These are wonderful options for newer individuals purchasing these types of policies. They actually offer a benefit during your life if you need care. But if you pass away and did not use the benefit, there's still a death benefit that's going to be payable to your beneficiaries. So I want to spend just a few minutes talking about Medicare. We're going to switch gears here. Um, And I always think this is really important to talk about when it comes to long-term care, either in a facility or at home. So most often, if you're a Medicare beneficiary, you think that you're going to be able to receive a hundred days of Medicare coverage annual, annually if you go into a nursing home or need in-home care. Sadly, that just isn't true. Medicare was designed as a short-term solution to nursing home care. It covers up- to 100 days annually. The keywords are up to. Most individuals only receive around 20 days of coverage, so you can see why it's really important to have other options in place to help pay for your care. So let's just spend a little bit of time talking about the only long term solution to pay for long term care in home or in a facility, which is Medicaid. Medicaid is a joint federal and state program designed to help people over the age of 60 pay for long-term care. While each state can have less restrictive rules than the federal law, they cannot be more restrictive than the federal law. Now, I am actually one of the only few certified Medicaid planners in Pennsylvania. So um, I love talking about Medicaid, and I could sit here and talk to you about it all day long, but um, you would be bored. (laughs) So um, I just want to, you know, talk to you about a couple of different points with it. Um, And again, Medicaid is very, very different from state to state. So it's really important that you are working with an elder law firm in your state if you need care. Um, So you might be wondering, so one thing you might be saying, well, Medicaid is a long-term solution, but don't you have to be poor or impoverished to qualify for Medicaid? Well, yeah, on paper, you do actually have to look like you're impoverished. But if you work with an experienced elder law firm, you can still protect your nest egg and qualify for Medicaid benefits. There are strategies and rules that allow us to help you to do that. Medicaid has very, very, very strict income and asset guidelines, and each state does determine exactly how that looks. It's certainly more beneficial to reside in certain states if you need nursing home or in-home care. For example, here in Pennsylvania, if you're married and your spouse needs in-home or nursing home care, we can help the spouse at home protect everything and qualify the spouse that needs care for Medicaid. But, That looks very different in some of our bordering states. Now, even though we can potentially protect everything, it is very strategic and a lot of work and time goes into implementing a Medicaid qualification plan. We would certainly never recommend trying to do it on your own because it's so specific. Now, Medicaid also has a five-year look-back period that allows your state to gather all financial information for the five-year period prior to the Medicaid application being filed. And again, this is for in-home care or nursing home care. This includes um, five, you you have to provide five years of financial statements, bank statements, tax returns, income verifications, real estate documents, just to name a few. When I file a Medicaid application for one of our clients, I have to send it in a box. It is so much information. And it is quite the process, but it's very worthwhile for families that have a loved one that needs care, especially in their home. And a lot of people don't even realize that there's a Medicaid program to help
1: pay for care at home. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit TheJacksonCreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your
2: story. Kristen, that is some great information, and we, we really need to do more. Um, to convey information about VA benefits because we in ACAP really have not done a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And long-term care insurance, you were talking about that, and I just have to smile because I remember years and years ago hearing about, okay, when you are in your mid-50s, you need to get long-term care insurance. And Mm -hmm. I did. Mm -hmm. And oh, I am Mm so grateful that I did. Absolutely. Okay, but let's do shift gears a little bit. Jenna, we're going to put you on the spot and give Kristen a few minutes to, to catching a, <laughs> a breath and a drink of water <laughs> and talk, and talk a little about what someone can do right now to mitigate the cost of long-term care. I mean, Jen, uh, Kristen has talked about some strategies, but my hunch is there are some other things people need to know.
0: Right. The best thing to do right now if you're worried about the cost of long-term care is to meet with an elder law attorney. These attorneys can walk you through your options and talk to you about whether any asset protection options would make sense for your situation. These plans that we put in place for clients look different for each person's situation. Whether or not these options would work for you depends on your health, your goals, your family situation, and your assets. An elder law attorney can talk to you about all of this and figure out the best plan that works for you in your situation. Oftentimes here in Pennsylvania, our long-term care plans might include transferring assets into a trust. By doing so, if you need care in the future, you have less assets in your name and you would qualify for government benefits to help cover the cost of your care faster. However, government benefits such as Medicaid are very state specific, like Kristen mentioned. So, you would need to meet with an elder law attorney in the state that you live in to see what options are available there. Now, we typically recommend that clients meet with us at least five years before they need care, but none of us has a crystal ball to know whether or when we will need care. So, planning earlier is typically better. If you do need care at some point and ask Medicaid to help pay for your care, they will implement that five-year look-back that Kristen mentioned. Because of this five-year look-back period, you can't just gift your assets right right away before you need care. So you would want to make any gifts at least five years prior to needing care. So the gist is, planning earlier is always typically better. Now, planning before the crisis or before someone needs care is the best way to protect your assets. But there typically are strategies still available, even if you or your loved ones are already in the nursing home and spending thousands of dollars each month to pay for your care. Just to give you an idea, the average cost of nursing home care in Pennsylvania is over $11,000 each month, and the cost of care is pretty similar in most other states as well. Kristen and I sometimes meet with clients who are both surprised and frustrated to learn that they had options when a loved one moved into the nursing home. However, once the loved one was admitted, clients are generally told that they need to spend all of their assets on their care until they qualify for Medicaid, which is not necessarily true. What you should do is you should meet with an elder law attorney to see if there are any other options. Moving a loved one into a nursing home is already a difficult time for families, and learning that they'll also have to pay the facility about $11,000 per month adds even more stress. Another question that Kristen and I hear all the time is whether it makes sense to gift their house to their child for a dollar. In fact, this is probably the question we are asked the most. While it sounds like a simple solution, there are many potential consequences that everyone should know. First, we need to consider the tax consequences. By avoiding one tax, another tax might be lurking in the dark, which could be worse. Second, we need to consider what we refer to as the four Ds, debt disability, divorce, and death. For example, what if mom gives her home to her daughter and the daughter has a creditor? It is now the daughter's asset and it's available to the daughter's creditors. Or what if the daughter becomes disabled and needs benefits? Or what if the daughter gets divorced? The house will likely become part of the divorce settlement. And lastly, and the one we hope never happens, is what if the daughter dies? Although these seem like enough reasons to second-guess outright gifting the house to the daughter in this situation, we also don't want to forget about that Medicaid five-year look-back period, so there might be some penalties as well. Benefit planning is very complex, and without proper guidance, you may not be able to receive the benefits you're entitled to. Completing an application at the wrong time, receiving bad advice, or not working with an elder law firm that focuses primarily on elder law can lead to a bad outcome.
4: All right, Jenna. Well, thank you for that. Um, so we've talked a lot about planning and I've worked with many families that didn't have the opportunity to plan or chose not to plan because this isn't going to happen to me. So giving that for people that didn't plan ahead and now they need care, is it too late to do anything? Mm-hmm. Kristen,
3: yeah. do you have any suggestions? <laughs> Yeah, I do, Holly. And, you know, Jenna and I always, you know, are talking and doing seminars and speaking engagements like this. And as you've heard us say a bunch already today, planning ahead of the crisis is the best option. But we are faced with situations in families every single day. And that's the first thing they say. They need their loved one needs care now. And they say, We should have done this years ago. My response, well, woulda, coulda, shoulda. It's in the past. Let's move forward and come up with a plan. The good news is, even if your loved one needs care right now, there's still options. There's still options on what the best placement or in-home care looks like, and still options on potentially protecting assets and income. Now, you might not be able to protect as much of your assets if you need care today, but the good news is there are strategies that an experienced elder law firm can help you implement even if you need care right now. Anyone who needs nursing home or in-home care really should seek advice from an elder law firm. And I really mean anyone, even if you're moving your, your husband, wife, your parent into a nursing home or applying for a Medicaid in-home care program, and the only asset they have is a bank account with $500 and, a house, and they own a house, they still should see an experienced elder law firm to see what their options are with that house, even if they decide to do nothing. They least know what the options are. I never, ever, ever want to hear that a husband or wife are worried that they're going to lose their house, income, or assets if their spouse needs care. The last thing he or she should be worrying about during an already difficult time is how they're going to survive making sure a spouse doesn't become impoverished is something I feel very passionate about. And I'm glad that many States are actually on the same page. Now, Pennsylvania is very, very generous when it comes to spousal rules and making sure the spouse that doesn't need care doesn't become impoverished. Not all States are as generous, but it is important to know that there's still options. And I I should mention um, one thing. I didn't think of until right now, you know, if you're a child caregiver and you're living with your parent in their home and you, you know, you left your home, you're living with them, there may be options for you to stay in that home, even if they need a higher level of care, if you've provided care. So that's something to keep in mind, something that many caregivers don't realize is an option. And it's, You know, in Pennsylvania, especially, it's really a thank you to those children caregivers saying, you know what, thank you for keeping your parents home longer um, and being able to provide that care and being that person. We realized this was, you know, hard for you. So that's something as a child caregiver, you need to figure out what that might look like for you. Now, it's even this is really important, too, and something we don't talk near enough about as a, uh, a society is. What if we have a child that was a caregiver or maybe not a caregiver, but that child, an adult child or younger child, has some type of disability or a special needs? There's options that if you as the parent need care in-home or in a nursing home, that you might be able to get your entire nest egg that you have um, want to protect to that child, get yourself qualified for benefits for in-home care and nursing home care, um, but make sure you're you're benefiting that child of yours. Now there's a lot more that goes into that, but it's definitely an option and definitely something to consider. Everybody's situation is so unique and so different. We always say With this type of planning for your second half of life, it's definitely not cookie cutter planning. It's definitely very specific. We want to know what your goals are, um, what your wishes are, and really depending on what type of care you need and what options we have at that point in time. Bottom line is, Holly, if you need care right now, it's not too late. There's still things that really need to be done and things that you can do to still
2: protect your nest egg. What a message of hope. Thank you for the, thank you for that hope because you know I remember back in the eighties when my mother was caring for her mother that she and and my mother lived with my grandmother exactly the same area you were talking about Christian and I can remember that she was very concerned about whether she was going to lose her house or not you know the the actual place where she lived so yeah these are huge huge concerns for people okay so. So I'm a caregiver, or I'm considering becoming a full-time caregiver for my, for my loved one. What do I need to know besides all this great information? What else do I need to know?
0: I think first and foremost, it would be really important for all the parties involved to have a caregiver agreement in place. This is important for the person needing care, because if no agreement is in place, any payments made to the caregiver could be seen as gifts later on when trying to qualify for Medicaid. By simply having that caregiver agreement in place, you avoid having to fight with Medicaid later on. This is this agreement's also important to protect the caregiver because the contract lays out the expectations for the caregiver in case there are any disputes down the road. And I know Kristen, you wanted you had a few things you wanted to add here as well. Mm-hmm.
3: I did. Um, so I've been with um, the law firm here doing this type of planning for 10 years. Before that, though, I worked for the Area Agency on Aging. So um, I was really hands-on in the homes with a lot of my clients, um, you know, helping their spouses or their children figure out what options they have to keep their loved one home. Um, you know, and, and again, every situation looks different. But what I've really learned that being, is being a caregiver can be really rewarding but it can also be very overwhelming. Um, You know, there is help out there if you're a caregiver and I can't stress that enough. And that's why I love groups like this that are saying, you know, there is help. You need to, you know, just ask. Um, You know, and Jen and I, we see much younger clients these days, which means much younger caregivers. So this is like people our age, a little bit older than us that are not just caring for their parents, but maybe a spouse diagnosis are happening much younger and then we're living longer. So we're living a lot longer with these diagnoses, which means we're being a caregiver for much longer. So um, you know, as we're caregivers, as we're children or spouses, we might still be working. We might still have minor children, um, you know, and this might be thrown at us really quickly. um, And we weren't prepared for this for a lot of different reasons. So a lot of times, you know, we have to sit back and think, okay, like, what do I need to do? Does it make sense to um, continue working and be a caregiver on the side? If so, where do I get help? What does that look like? Or do I need to quit my job and be the sole caregiver. And it's a really hard conversation. And unfortunately, there's really not a right or wrong answer. But let's break this into two steps. Step one. So As a diagnosis or a healthcare crisis, as they are happening earlier, it's more important than ever to have all the professionals on your side. And actually, this is, I'm stepping on Holly's toes right now because this is a lot of what she does at our office. But, um, you know, coordinating all the professionals, making sure you have all the professionals on your side, the right doctor, the right elder law firm, and a financial professional. This isn't the time in your life to work with general practitioners. You need to have experienced professionals on your side. I always say, you wouldn't go see a podiatrist, your foot doctor, for a heart issue. You need to have the right professionals. Having a doctor that specializes in your your loved one's health condition is vital to help navigate the medical side of your needs. This is especially true with cognitive impairments such as dementia. There are so many forms of dementia and different tr- treatment options for each one. Your primary care physician probably isn't going to be, a- be able to appropriately help with a dementia diagnosis, so you really need to see a specialist. The same goes for an elder law attorney. Many attorneys dabble in elder law, they slap it on their side, but they don't specialize in it. Take our office, for example. We don't dabble in other types of law, we pretty exclusively Focus on elder law so we can help walk you through your second half of life step by step. Having having an experienced team of professionals on your side is vital and very important as you navigate a healthcare crisis, a diagnosis, or figuring out what your caregiving situation looks like. Now, step two, can you emotionally handle being a primary caregiver? Let's face it. It is so hard to be a caregiver. Some people are naturals and some people are not. I will admit it. I am not. I would absolutely need some outside assistance with this. I really think my mental health would suffer if I was the the sole and primary caregiver. I think it's really important to be realistic on what you can handle, whether you're able to be a primary caregiver or have help it's really important also to tap into resources such as this group. <laughs> there's local groups, there's national groups. There's a lot of options. Caregiver support groups are a fantastic option as well. Um, your local community probably has groups and there's nas- national resources as well, such as the Alzheimer's Association, Dementia Society of America, or whatever the diagnosis or health care crisis may be, there's definitely a group available to help. Now, according to AARP back in 2015, an estimated 43.5 million American adults were unpaid caregivers. About 85% were caregivers for someone related to them, and about half of those cared for a parent. So it's really important to ensure that a caregiver avoids burnout. Never deny help. When people offer it to you, they mean it. Take it, accept it, and embrace it. Whatever that looks like, even if it's only for an hour and you're going to go sit out on your porch for some fresh air, going for a walk, going to the store, taking a nap, whatever you need to continue moving forward, accept it and go with it. Now, I want to share one story today. I'm about an experience that I had when I worked for the Area Agency on Aging, and this is a really sad experience that I always think of when I look at a lot of caregiving situations. So this situation was a husband who was the primary caregiver for his wife in their home. They did have services through the Medicaid waiver program that pays for in-home care, but it was clear that he was really overwhelmed. He was at the maximum amount of hours that he could get for his wife. He had just retired, you know, thought he had his whole life ahead of him and she got sick very suddenly. Well, he was devoted and he was such an amazing caregiver for his wife, but it took his toll, Took a toll on him. He ended up having a heart attack and he passed away. And then what he was trying to avoid, which was nursing home placement for his wife, became a reality. So it's a memory that sticks in my mind whenever I work with spouses or other family members that are caregivers and that are overwhelmed. I always say you need to take care of yourself because if you're gone, who's going to take care of your loved one?
4: This has been a lot of great information today. And in my years of experience, I've seen so many circumstances, so many crises with families and that's one of the reasons i enjoy being at the firm is because i wanted to do some education and be part of that to prevent or help people get ready for a crisis or a circumstance cuz it's not a if it's going to happen it's when it's going to happen and you know there i have stories in my head that sticks in you know one was a situation where there was a caregiver taking care of mom. And you could tell that she was a primary caregiver. However, the power of attorney was somebody who lived across the country, was not involved in care, but they were the one I had to listen to. And I knew for a fact what mom wanted was not what she was receiving because the power of attorney was across the country and weren't, weren't involved. So given all of this, what we talked about today, what are some steps that families, like myself included, should be thinking about right now?
0: The best thing you can do right now is to have good powers of attorney and a will in place. We all want to make our own decisions, so the best legal document that we can have is a power of attorney in case we can't make those decisions. Not all powers of attorney are created equal, though. So make sure your documents have been executed or, at the very least, reviewed by an elder law firm. If someone with dementia or cognitive issues cannot understand and sign a power of attorney, then the court may have to get involved, and ultimately it's the court's decision who would be appointed as the person to make decisions for you. This may or may not be the person that you would choose for yourself. So by putting good powers of attorney in place now, you are in control of your plan in case something happens. In order to be able to make financial decisions or communicate with financial institutions on behalf of someone else, you must have a financial power of attorney for that person. Believe it or not, even your spouse can't automatically step in and make financial decisions for you without a power of attorney. I'm sure many of our listeners have tried to contact the cable company or the electric company, which was listed under their spouse's name. And the company wouldn't speak to them. You know, even if it's just to pay the bill, they won't talk to you. This is similar with anything financial. They won't talk to you unless you have a power of attorney for your spouse. But powers of attorney are only in place while you're living. Then once you pass away, the powers of attorney are no longer in effect. At that point, we look at your will to see how you wanted your assets to be distributed upon your death. Your will should state who your beneficiaries are and who will be the executor that pays your debts and expenses and makes sure your beneficiaries receive the rest. It's important to understand that your will likely doesn't apply to every asset you own. If you hold an account jointly with someone else and one of you passes away, chances are that that account will automatically pass 100% to the surviving account holder, regardless of what your will says. The same is true of any account that you have that includes a beneficiary designation, such as life insurance or retirement accounts. Once you pass away, that account will pass to the beneficiary that you have designated on the account, no matter what your will says. The documents are really important, but it's more important to have a good overall plan so that you know what will happen if you pass away or if you get sick and need care. This makes a transition much easier on both you and also your loved ones.
2: You know, this podcast has been information that that we can use for parents, for our loved ones, but you also have given a whole lot of information that all of us, each one of us, really needs to pay attention to. You know, when we're talking about powers of attorney and wills and, and those kinds of things, and I've always heard that what that really does, and, and sometimes people are really reluctant because, oh, well, no, I don't need to do that now. We never know. We never know what, when we will need those documents. So, uh, so thank you. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Holly, for, for sharing such important information. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you all for being with us, for being part of this podcast. Thank you also to you, our listeners, for joining us. We hope that this will be helpful to you. Um, We hope that you will share this information with loved ones, uh, get them to listen to it, Uh, family members, friends, colleagues. This is really important information. Before we end, we also definitely want to acknowledge Pace at Home in Hickory, North Carolina, the sponsor for this podcast. We are indeed grateful for their support. This program is part of the MESH network of online shows and podcasts. You may find more of our caregiver community podcast on any of the platforms where you listen to podcasts, including our own website, www. ACAPcommunity.org, and that is ACAP, like adult children of aging parents, ACAPcommunity.org. While you're on our site, we hope you will take a few minutes to learn more about ACAP, our our educational programs, and our local chapters. And if there are are any other topics you would like for us to, to address as a podcast, please do let us know. As we say so often in ACAP, regardless of your background, your education, your career, or anything else, when it's your mother, your father, your loved one, the journey of caring for and advocating for that person becomes very personal and extremely important. So please care well for your loved one, your loved ones, but also remember to take care of you. Stay well. Bye for now.